starting in verse 19 of Matthew 6, it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. So we're in Matthew chapter 6. Um, before we get started, I'd like, to, I'd like to pray. So let's pray together. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Um, I just confess, Lord, that this is, this is a hard teaching. Um, it, it really cuts down deep to the heart. It can make us uncomfortable. It can make it awkward. Um, and Lord, I, I confess that I need you this morning. Because I, I love for people to love me. It would be easy for me to say this softly, say it in a way that doesn't maybe cut to the heart. It'd be easy for me to not to trust you and trust your spirit. And so I pray, Lord, for transparency. I pray for help. I pray for courage. I don't, I don't want to in any way um, teach your word halfway. Lord, I pray that you would keep me from the fear of man and that you would work in us. And, and more than all of that, rather than just a, a desire to teach your word accurately and not offend, and not maybe offend, but not necessarily be scared, but Lord, I pray that you would use your word this morning. I pray that the outcome would be awesome, that you would... Do exactly what your word says you'll do. That you'll take this and you'll change our hearts where they need to be changed. And that we would see an outpouring of your spirit in our church. And that we would see people all over this congregation laying up treasures in heaven and not on earth. And that we would see many people get converted because of our desire to want to use our money for your glory. For your glory, not our glory. For your glory. And so we ask for your spirit to come mightily today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, my goal this morning is pretty simple and straightforward. Um, I hope to, uh, not me, but I hope the Lord will um, perhaps wreck and destroy um, what you might think about why you have money, and why you spend it a certain way. Um, and this isn't <laughs> necessarily the most uh, fun, I guess, sermon to preach, although I think there will be some pretty, pretty great things. And what I want to do uh, is kind of start out with my own kind of personal story 
uh, the way it's kind of come through and the way I've, I've kind of seen this happen in my life. And as I've looked over this text this week, the way the Lord kind of pointed me back to where I was 10 years ago, showing me where I am now and showing me how uh, maybe my heart has been captivated. Now, listen, um, don't mistake this, okay? This, this very first part is just where I am personally. Um, I'm not laying down law on, on uh, stuff and possessions and saying that if you're... Uh, if you're finding yourself having some of the things that I talk about myself having, that you're in sin. I'm not saying that. This is my own personal story, and this is where the Lord has been kind of working on me this week. And maybe there'll be some crossover between you and I. Maybe there's not, because I don't think it's a sin to have things. I just want to let you know how the Lord has been kind of working on me over this past week. Um, about 10 years ago, in 2001, I was entering seminary, and I had really made some pretty drastic changes from 98 to 2001. And uh, God had really started opening up just himself to me in deep ways that I didn't understand. And so I was I was uh, really wanting to just start just some of the things I was listening to and reading, throw away a lot of the stuff I had so I wasn't finding myself enamored with stuff. Um, and I was going into seminary, which, you know, you don't really have time for things anyway. Um, and so... Uh, I was in seminary from 2001 to 2004, and coming out of seminary, uh, I was kind of jotting down some of the things that we had, my wife and I, and where we were. Neither one of us had cell phones. Um, I had no iPod. Uh, <clears throat> about 15 different times, I tried to talk Christy into letting us just throw our, all of our televisions out of the house. Um, it never came to fruition, but she had good reasons. Um, I didn't really ever watch it. I had only seen about one movie. Um, in about three years' time, and uh, I had one desktop computer that was like a, basically a caveman computer. I mean, it was it was probably the worst thing in the world. Um, and now, where I am today in 2011, um, I've kind of thought about where I was and now where I am. Now, some of this has to do with the fact that I was in seminary and I didn't really have any money anyway. Um, but here we are now where we both have cell phones I have two iPods, I've gotten another television, I watch movies all the time, and I have a stinking Mac computer now. Like, so I, I've just kind of looked over the last just where I am, and I feel like in my own personal life, maybe I have in my own mind, in my own life, thrown in some compromises. And I, I don't know, like I've, it's, it's been seven days since I've been really kind of studying in on this. My point is this, my point is not if you have those things, you're in sin, and if I have those things, I'm in sin. I'm just trying to survey what in the world happened to me over the last 10 years. Because here's what I know about stuff and the subtlety and the allurement of things. Is that it creeps in very, very, very subtly in our lives. It, it, it's not like you have nothing and then the next day you have everything. It, it doesn't happen like that. It's little tiny things over the period of a whole lot of years. Um... I read, I heard Piper, John Piper say this, and he says, no pastor lives up to what he preaches. If he does, he's preaching too low. <laughs> so that's very reassuring as we're going into this, where I'm trying to say, listen, I don't have everything together. I'm just trying to say, I'm going to, we're going to look at this text about stuff and money and treasure and just kind of let you know where I am and how I've been thinking about over the last week, really the last 10 years of my life and how it's been affecting me. Um, and I don't know what it's going to look like as far as stuff, but I know that I feel like over the last 10 years, when I've brought more things into my life, 
I've allowed for more opportunities for distraction from Jesus. There's no question about that. And so what I'm hoping today is um, that we're going to, as we see this, <clears throat> specifically we'll, we'll have an idea of what I'm talking about, distractions away from Jesus in 22 and 23. Um, I'm hoping that as we come out of this, that the Lord's going to change your heart about stuff if you need a heart change. Wreck the way you view your money if you have a sinful way of viewing it. Now, just to give you an idea of what's going on, we haven't been in the text here in, in two weeks. Um, and so we're in Matthew chapter 19. Now, Matthew, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Matthew 6, 1 through 17 is where we were. We're in the middle kind of of the Sermon on the Mount right now. I don't have tons of time to, to review it all. I would, but then I don't have, that'll take up my time. So um, Matthew 6, 1 through 18, kind of the... The key verse that defines all of 1 through 18 was verse 1. And for here, um, we're going to kind of move into a new kind of unit. Jesus is, is moving into a, a new kind of teaching from 19 through 34. And it's going to be a little bit different. Um, definitely the first half of Matthew 6, 1 through 18, builds into the second half of Matthew 6, which is 19 through 34. And I'm going to submit to you that I think verses 19 through 34 is all one unit, although it's going to take us... Two weeks to do it all. Um, and it's very similar. Like I said, verse 1 kind of is the overarching theme verse to unpack for us 2 through 18. That's the same kind of thing now for 19 through 34. But that overarching theme verse is verse 33. Verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. So verse 33 is the overarching theme verse for us to be able to understand 19 through 34. Um, you'll see also in verses 19 through 34, and we're only doing 19 through 24 today, but you'll see in verses 19 through 34, three imperatives. There's three imperatives. That's basically another word for command. There's three commands that are directly straightforward given to you. The first one um, is <clears throat> verse 20, but 19 says it negatively, 20 says it positively. So I'm just going to say the first imperative, and these aren't on the screen. These aren't my three things today. These are just, I'm giving you a, an overarching understanding of what we're looking at in 19 through 34 as we're talking about money and eternal, I'm sorry, essential eternal perspectives on kingdom living, which just basically means he's been talking about the gospel. And now as Jesus has been talking about the gospel in the Sermon on the Mount, he's, he's turning a corner in, in chapter six and he's going to start saying, this is what it looks like in kingdom life. As a follower of me, this is what your life's supposed to look like and be patterned after. This is what it looks like to be my disciple, to have an understanding of the gospel and start living it out as a Christian. This is what it looks like. So he's turning that and he's especially going to turn it on us on money here. He's going to unpack it for us. But there's three, there's three commands, three imperatives given to us in 19 through 34. The first one is in 20, um, which is lay up treasures in heaven. I want you to not lay up treasures on earth, but I want you to lay up treasures in heaven. The second um, imperative that he gives us, you see it in 25 and 34, which is basically, don't be anxious. You see that in 25, don't be anxious. You see it in 34. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about tomorrow. So that's the second imperative. The third imperative that he tells us, or the third command that he tells us is verse 33. Um, Seek first the kingdom of God. So those are the three commands in this text. And the third one, seek first to the kingdom of God, um, is, a, is a big one. So the way you accomplish those first two, which is lay up treasures in heaven, don't be anxious, is by doing the third one. 
But those are the three imperatives given to us. And there's obvious, obvious um, crossover between those three. And as we're going to look today, um, in, in 19 through 24, the way, the way 19 through 34 kind of divides itself is 19 through 24 is going to be about money, kingdom living and money, essentials in kingdom living and money. And then the second half and 25 through 34 is going to be, uh, be, be more about anxiety, faith in God, trusting God, those kinds of things. And so that's, that's kind of the big unpacking of 19 through 34. Kingdom living, what it's going to look like, but the first half is going to be money. And that's what we're going to talk about today, is money in 19 through 24. Um, and what I want to do as we're going through this is we're going to ask three questions. We're just going to ask three questions regarding money today. Um, and they're going to be in, right there in the text. Just, they're all pretty obvious. And these three questions will have a lot of uh, crossover ideas and thoughts between the three of them. Um, but before we do that, I just want to unpack a little bit of statistics for you about giving and about money. Um, and also give you a little bit of uh, background of what are some of the things that Jesus says about money. The first thing is, um, this is from Barna. He, the church guy he does a lot of looking at churches and surveys and stuff like that. He says the average amount given per person per year in American church is $694, which means if they're tithing, the average income for someone that goes to church and gives is $6,940. Um, <laughs> in America, I think that's probably not right. I'm just saying. It, it seems that, that that can't be the most accurate, which means tons of people aren't giving. If they are, they're barely giving. Uh, another another stat from Barna, which is, I thought, really interesting. It says the most of the people, the majority of the people that actually give are people that are married or out of college or, and out of college. Either one. So it's, some people are out of college and not married. Bless your heart. Um, so <clears throat> it'll be one day, I promise. So anyway, so perhaps. So anyway, um, the people that give are married people and those that are out of college. Which means, which means, there seems to be in our college students or our unmarried stu- people um, some kind of thought process, which, which is, I don't have to be spiritually mature here in giving until I'm out of college or until I'm married, until I have a real, dry, a real job. And I just want to say, listen, if you're not married yet or you're still in college... You don't have to wait to be spiritually mature here. As a matter of fact, I would recommend that you excel spiritually in this. That this, this isn't the time to be lazy or just say, well, you know, I only make $300 a year anyway, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much money you make because it's not about the amount. It's about your heart and what's going on. Um, now here's some, here's some small sampling of just some things about Jesus. Um, Jesus talked about money more than he talked about heaven and hell combined. He talked more about money than heaven and hell combined. Um, About 15% of everything Jesus talked about was money. And here are just a small sampling. These are not on the screen. This is just something you can listen to. Jesus replied to the young ruler and he says this, Go sell what you possess and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. So therefore, if any one of you does not renounce all that you have, you cannot be my disciple. But seek first the kingdom of heaven. I'm sorry, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Another one. Sell your possessions and give them to the needy. Provide for your... 
Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with the treasures in heaven that does not fail, where thief approaches and moth and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's Luke 12. Here's another text. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. When, the, when Jesus saw the widow giving, he said this, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they contributed out of their abundance, but out of her poverty, she put in all she had to live in. Last text, Jesus told the story of a, of a man who had uh, built much bigger barns so he could hold even more of his stuff. And he said, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. That's just a small little sampling of some of the things that Jesus has to say about money and about how we spend our money. So as we go into this... Um, I'm praying that we will be challenged and that you'll hear some of these things and you'll, you'll be challenged by the, by the words that Christ is speaking to you in regard to money, whether you have it now or not, and how you're spending it. Because if you don't have it, more than likely it's in this country, you will have it. You, you may not make very much money right now. I know what it's like to not make much money. <laughs> um, but one day you might make more if you work hard and you get a good education. And so I want you to set up patterns where you are honoring God with it. Now, let's go ahead and look at the first little section here. Um, and this, this first little section, we're going to be asking the question, what is your treasure? What is your treasure? So that's the first question that we're asking is, what is your treasure? Look up 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth, rust, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But... Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Sinclair Ferguson defined the word treasure as the thing we prize most dearly. The treasure is the thing that you prize most dearly. Now listen to this commentator. As he's, as he's looking at these verses, this is what he says. He says, this deadly plague, talking about people that laying up treasure on earth, he says, this deadly plague reigns everywhere throughout the world. Men are grown mad with an insatiable desire of gain. It sounds like today. That was written 500 years ago by John Calvin. So nothing's changed. And I would submit to you, not just today and 500 years ago, but if you read Ecclesiastes, whenever Solomon writes, nothing's changed. There will never be a time where anything's changed. We are all plagued with a deep desire to build up treasures on earth rather than treasures in heaven. Now, is Christ condemning things completely? Is he condemning having things? No. D.A. Carson says, I don't think that Jesus is condemning all wealth any more than he's condemning all clothes. He is not, he is not prohibiting things, but the love of things. But the love of things. Now remember, um, as we were going through Matthew 6, 2 through 4, and he's, Jesus was talking about giving, he, he does a little bit of a, a comparison, a contrast, a little dichotomy, if you will, um, between, and look in 2 and 4, and basically what he's, he's saying in 2, he says, thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before the, as the hypocrites in the synagogues and the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward, but when you give to the needy, 
Let not your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So there he's showing getting earthly rewards versus heavenly rewards. So there's a little dichotomy between earthly and heavenly rewards. And in the exact same way, he's doing that in 19 through 21. But here we're being exhorted not to have earthly treasures. Instead, we want to have heavenly treasures or treasures in heaven. So let's just, um, let's just ask some really kind of uh, practical questions here. Because we're told in 20, it's a command, lay up treasures in heaven. So let's just talk about the last week. Let's talk about your last seven days. Um, how often, this is a rhetorical question, don't like answer this out loud. How often this past seven days did you find yourself laying up treasures in heaven with your, with your money? More than likely, you're probably saying something like, well, it didn't even cross my mind. <laughs> um, it, it wasn't, I, went, I wasn't actively thinking, how can I lay up a treasure in heaven today rather than a treasure on earth? Um, whenever John Piper was commenting on this, he, he asked this one question. He said, why can't you just do both? Why can't you just lay up treasures on earth and treasures in heaven? And he answers by saying this. This is really insightful. He says, I argue that laying up treasures in heaven means not laying up treasures on earth. So the reason why you can't do both is because the way you lay up treasures in heaven is intentionally not laying up treasures on earth. So practically, just really practically, in order, and I, if I say, hey, who here wants to lay up treasures in heaven? I'm assuming if you're a believer, you're not, no one's going to raise their hand and say, I don't really want to. I think we're all going to agree, yes, I want to. So let's just kind of talk about practically what it means and what it looks like and how that's going to possibly happen in your life. Um, first of all, in order to lay up treasures in heaven, you need to allow yourself the opportunity to actually do this. Okay? W- whatever amount you're getting financially right now, you need to allow yourselves opportunities to do this. You need to position yourself where you can actually fulfill the commandment given to do this. Um, and what that means is not trying to create more expenses in your life just because you have the means. Or... Um, even if you don't have the means, creating more expenses so you can try to make more money just to do it. Um, very early on in marriage, whenever Christy and I got married, we, we began a, a pattern of wanting to give to the Lord and not have tons of expenses. Not have tons of expenses so that we could fulfill this. Um, and so we, we every year, we, we edge up our little percentage of what we can do um, as far as giving, and enough that it's sacrificial. Um, another huge commitment that we made whenever we got married is that we don't want to find ourselves in debt. We want to be able to not be in debt so that if we're not in debt, then we can lay up more treasures in heaven. Um, so we don't, we don't want to have tons of extra expenses that are going on. And if we do that, that frees us up to do more ministry. That frees us up to support mission trips, etc. Now, so that you don't think I'm trying to disobey the direct commandment in verse uh, chapter 6, 2 through 4, just so you don't think I'm kind of sounding my trumpet here and saying, look at me, look, I'm, I'm not in debt. I want you to, I want to point you back to 516, which we've done this before. Look at 516. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your fathers in heaven. So 
The difference between 5.16 and 6.2, which is 5.16 saying, do good works, and when you do good works, your light's shining, and people give glory to God. And the difference between that and 6.2 is, do good works so everybody thinks you're awesome. Um, I'm telling you that so that, not because of me, it's only by God's grace that we have been able to not find ourselves in debt, be able to do anything. Um, because God, it's not because of me. I love shiny objects. I mean, I am enamored by the next thing. And so God through my wife, speaks to me mightily all the time and says, no, no. Um, and so I'm not trying to say this is because of me but at all. Actually, it's all God. It's all God's glory. And so um, real practically, though, the way that you can obey this text by laying up treasures in heaven is just being real practical, real smart with the things that you have and not increasing just because you have the ability to do more things um, as far as entertainment or buy more stuff, is not doing it. All right, so here's, here's a, uh, an eternal perspective. When we're thinking about what's your treasure, look at 21. So we know don't lay up treasures on earth, lay up treasures in heaven. And then 21, there's a four. That four is just means an argument that is about to be made. A, an, an explanation is, is why would we want to do this? Why would we want to? Look at what he says. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Remember, treasure is the thing that you prize most deeply in your life. The thing that you hold to, the thing that you, you, you think is the most beautiful. I love this thing the very most. And then he tells us in 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, whatever my heart really desires, whatever my heart really, really loves, that's my treasure, and that's what I'm going to worship. That's what I'm going to. And... It is just a really poor, poor bargain. It's just a bad idea for you to exchange eternal of millions of millennia with Jesus and love for him for a contemporary shiny object. It just it doesn't make any sense for you to pour and, and lay up treasures here rather than there. Um the, that's the point of where it says moths and rusts and, and thieves can't get in there is when he talks about heaven, nobody can get up there and mess and steal stuff from heaven. So that's why you would lay up treasures there. Here, moths can get in, thieves can get in, it can rust, it can, it can, it'll be thrown into a junkyard one day. But if we lay up treasures in heaven, no one can get up there and mess up those things. And so Carson says, D.A. Carson says, it's, a tr- it's tragic if we follow the examples of Achan or Solomon or the rich young ruler or Demas in order to discover this basic truth, which is it's foolish to pursue treasures on earth, in earth rather than treasures in heaven. Because these are so temporary here compared to the millennia of millions of millennia that we can have in heaven. So what can you do? What can you do then? Um, what you can do is obey verse 21. When it says, For your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There your heart will be also. What you can do is examine your heart. Truly examine your heart. Look at what you've spent most of your money on. If you're like, well, I don't know what my heart is, is prizing. I don't know what my heart treasures more than anything. Look at what you've spent most of your money on this past month, and then you will know what your heart is most passionate about. I mean, you can't hide that from yourself. 
If you look and see, I have spent most of my money on this, then that's what your treasure is. You, right now, I feel like, all right, this is what I feel like most people are thinking. Stop guilting me, FUD. Stop trying to guilt me. Um, and my motivation is not, to, is not guilt. I don't want you to be motivated to want to lay up treasures in heaven rather than earth because of guilt. So I'm not going to motivate you with guilt. Instead, I want to motivate you with the gospel. Um, that's our only true motivation. If, if I just make you feel really guilty about the way you spend your money right now, then about a week later or maybe even two days later, you're not going to have any real lasting changes. So it's the gospel that, that changes us. It's the gospel as we think about, okay, one day before I met Jesus, I was, as the Bible describes me, an enemy of, of God. As a matter of fact, Ephesians uh, 2, 1 through 3 tells me that I was a devil worshiper. Um, that I worship the prince of the power of the air. And, Ephes- and, and Romans 5.8 tells me that while I was willingly an enemy, God demonstrated love. It wasn't like I was thinking about God, wanting to follow God or anything. I was a willing participant in evil. And God said, while you're doing that, I'm going to reach down and I'm going to save you. I'm going to put my... I'm going to regenerate your heart, give you affections for me that you never had, give you a desire to put your faith in me, give you a desire to want to become a Christian, and then you're going to become a Christian, you're going to see me as I really am, the most beautiful reality in the world, I'm going to save you from being an enemy of me, and I'm going to bring you into what is the most awesome thing in the world, namely me. That's what God did for you. And when he did that for you, he pulled you off the path of hell. There is no better news than that. And so since He has done that for you, since He has offered you eternal life and escape or um, all the wrath that was supposed to go on you because of your sin went on Jesus instead, that's what motivates you. Because God has saved you. God has, has removed the hand of wrath that was due to you and put it on His Son for you. And now in response to that, He gives you things. He gives you 20,000, 30,000, 40,000, 80,000, I don't know, dollars per year. And he's saying, you can use this for my glory. Based on what I've done, where I've transformed your life and I've given you me, I've, I've, I've saved you from the wrath that was rightly supposed to come to you. Now, Based on the amount of money I have, I want to, instead of spending it on myself and saying, oh, I can do everything I want, I want to respond to him in the most, in the most correct way because of the gospel. And I want to take this money and I want to pour it out for Christ. I want to use my money for his glory rather than my own enjoyment, rather than my own um, desires and meeting my own certain needs. So I don't want you to feel motivated by guilt here. I don't want you to say, oh, stop trying to make me feel guilty about the way I spend my money. Instead, I want you to just return to the gospel and think about what Christ has done for you and think about what is your right response in light of what he's done for you. Because 21 is really obvious. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So is your heart affectionately desirous of the things of God? If it is, then that's the way you're going to spend your money. You're going to want everyone else to know the good news that you know. You're going to want everyone else to experience rescue from hell just like you have. And it, 
And you're, you're willing, you should be willing, at any expense to do it. That's what He's calling us to. That's what He wants us to do. So that's the first question, which is, um, what is your treasure? What is your treasure? Which um, leads us into uh, the second little section, which is, who are you radiating? Who are you radiating? Look at, look at 22 through 23, and you're going to see um, radiating is just kind of filling something up with light. Look what it says. Your eye is the lamp of the body. Now, just notice he's, he's moved from heart. He's just using parts of the body. Jesus is an awesome teacher in 21. Um, not, not that you don't know that, but 21, he's using the heart. And then 22, he's just going to go over to another body part, and he's just going to talk about the eye. And he's going to say it this way. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Don't forget um, 514, salt and light. Let your light shine before men. Um, let me just read 514 to you. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. So as he's telling you, your body will be full of light. I don't have time to unpack that, but just keep in mind that Jesus is, is a great teacher and he's, he's bringing stuff that he's taught and he's going forging into new teachings as well as we look at this idea of being full of light. So your eye is healthy. Your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, the whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you, is darkness, how great is the darkness. Alright, so just a couple things just to unpack these verses just so you can kind of understand why I'm getting the idea of who are you radiating is the question, which it's not, it's not too hard of a stretch. But first thing, this eye, um, this is really similar to the heart, which is in verse 20. The eye is the lamp that reveals the quality of a person's inner life. So the eye is kind of the, the, the ability to see who they are. And then in healthy, look at this in, in 22, it says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, this word healthy, um, some of your translations might say good. Um, and this just means this, uh, of one purpose, of one purpose, or loyal. Therefore, it means in this metaphor, when it's saying that the, the, eye, the person must be healthy, it means that the person must be of one purpose. If we're healthy, we're of one purpose. If we're of one purpose, it means that we as Christians, our one purpose is that we are fully devoted to Jesus' name. We're fully devoted to Jesus' glory. We are of one reason. We have one purpose in life. Jesus. So who are you radiating? What is the one purpose or the one thing that you're radiating? It's Jesus. So that's the second question that we're talking about. Now remember, um, we don't want to forget because in 19... Through 21, he's talking about treasure. He's talking about money. There's, there's money language in 19 through 21. And we also see in 24, there's money language when he says you can't serve both God and money. But in here, in 22 and 23, there's no money language. He's just talking about eye and light and radiating these kind of thing and a being of one purpose, having a healthy eye. But don't forget that um, money is kind of on the outside of this. So this, this idea of radiating light is being sandwiched in between... Um, Two other t parts that are talking about money. So this is still about money. When we're talking about, are you, are you of one purpose? Who is it that you're radiating? The context is financially. Who are you radiating with the way you spend your money? Are you full of light? Are you shining out, as Matthew five sixteen says, with your good works? Are you shining out Jesus, that he is your one purpose with the way you spend your money? So the way that we can... In this this question, 
Who are you radiating? It's just the same thing I was just talking about. Hand me your, if you handed me your checkbook and I looked at your expenses, then we could answer the question, who you're radiating. Like, who is it that you're, who is it that you're really showing your affections for if you handed over your checkbook? Or you just examine your checkbook and you could find it out. Um, there is one caution, though. It's for people that are nominal. If they don't do a really good explanation uh, or a good examination, in 20, the end of 23 it says, If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? If your eye is the lamp of the body and your eye is healthy, the whole body is full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And sometimes we say to ourselves, yeah, who I'm radiating is Jesus. No question about it. I'm radiating Jesus. That's who I care about. And I'm saying, the context here is money. So don't just say you're radiating Jesus if you're not radiating Jesus. Because the end of 23 is a little bit of 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 a caution. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Um, D.A. Carson talks about this, um, this text and he says, Some of us aren't able to do very good inward checks, very good self-examinations about if we're really radiating Jesus or not. This is what he says. If one thinks his eye is good or healthy when it is bad, he talks himself into believing that his nominal loyalty to kingdom values is deep and genuine when in fact it is shallow and contrived. So I think that there's a possibility for some of us that we might have ourselves convinced that we are on an awesome track with the way we shepherd our money, with the way we spend, with the way we give, with the way we lay up treasures in heaven versus earth, when we're not on an awesome track at all. As a matter of fact, we're, we're probably laying up far more treasures on earth than we are in heaven. And I just want to say, let's not let this be true of Remedy Church. Let's not, as a church, lay up all kinds of treasures on earth and not on heaven and be totally blind to the fact that that's what we're doing. I think that a real examination, a real heart, Jesus, I'm not even sure. And so if you would, please come now and just open up my eyes to the reality of how I might be Laying up more treasures on earth than I realize and not laying up treasures in heaven. Who are you radiating? Who are you shining out into the world? Is it Jesus? Is it yourself? Is it your favorite sport? Is it your favorite gadget? Is it your favorite car? Is it your favorite fill in the blank? I don't know. Um, Again, don't miss this. No pastor lives up to what he preaches. If he does, he's preaching too low. So, please don't just look at me and say, well, Fudd, until you get it together, I'm not going to get it together. Because I'm on the path with you. I know that I don't have it all together. But, the Lord, (laughs) He has really been making me think over this last week as I've thought about this. And just looked over the ten years of where I am and where I am now. And just thought, okay, I don't know what it's supposed to look like. But I am absolutely committed to making changes if I need to. And thank you, God, for my wife, who will be far more 
vigilant and far more serious about making changes than I am because I just love stuff too much. And she is just <laughs> a blessing in that. Which leads me to this, to this last section. This is a perfect little segue as we're talking about what's my treasure? Who, who am I radiating? And now we have this last question. Who do you serve? Or you can flip it. Who's your master? Whatever you want to say. Um, they're both in the text. No one can serve two masters. For he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, this, this love-hate or um, despise kind of contrast is a, is a Semitic idiom. Uh, Semitic just means Jewish. Idiom just means saying. So it's a, it's a, it's a Jewish saying. Uh, they, they say these things quite often. This is referring to how we will feel. This is saying... Basically, um, when we put the two together, it's basically, in a, in a Semitic idiom, it's just, or a Jewish saying, it's just saying, the latter should be far, much more, crazy more, strongly preferred than the former. That's just basically the whole point. It, if, if you think over in Luke, where he says, unless you hate your father and mother, you can't be my disciple. So, it's not saying you literally have to hate your father and mother, it's just saying, the latter, which is Jesus, must be much more strongly preferred than the former. And that's the same idea here. We must much more, with great emphasis, more than you could possibly imagine, prefer, love, have affections for, be stirred by, want to pursue a life with God over money. The, the real word here is mammon, um, which just means like um, money, possessions, um, Originally, that, that word could be translated something in, in which one puts confidence, something in one which puts confidence, which means anything else than God, anything else than God. Calvin, when he's talking about this, this text right here, he says that the heart of man is bound and fixed upon its treasure. So your heart, my heart, we all have hearts that treasure something. We have a deep love affection for something. And whenever our heart has this, he says that it's bound and it's fixed upon this treasure. So who is it? Is it God or is it mammon? Because whatever it is, your heart is deeply bound and deeply fixed upon it. So basically a summation of 24 here saying, if you love treasure, if you love mammon, possessions, without remembering that those things were first given to you by God, you will soon hate and despise the one who gave them to you. You will soon hate and despise God, the one who actually gave those things to you. That's what happens in Romans 1, where they start loving the, create, they start loving the created rather than the creator. So, the reason why I think Piper is right when he says the way that we lay up treasures in heaven is by intentionally not laying up treasures on earth is because here in 24, there's such a drastic dichotomy. He's saying that you have to love God and if you love God, then you will despise or hate the other. And it, I know it's a balance between saying, well, it doesn't mean you absolutely hate it, 
but it's saying that you have to prefer the latter so much more than the former. So the reason why you you can't have both is because you, your heart will be divided. And you, you can't have a divided heart. You have to have a heart that is either love with God or is going to be in love with the things that God has created. So the third question is this. The third question is, who do you serve? Who is it that your heart loves serving? Who is your master? Is it the things in this world or is it God? Um, Piper commenting on this verse says this, God prospers me to raise my standard of giving, not my standard of living. It's a really easy way to remember. But he's saying this, basically, throughout your life, you're going to continually be prospered. Throughout your life, you're going to continually, more than likely, if you live in America and you work hard, make more money, your standard of living is going to be increased. And as it's being increased, God is doing that. You're not, you're not doing it on your own. You're not working harder um, by yourself. Everything that you do is because God is doing it. So as your standard as you're being prospered, he's doing that not to raise your standard of living. In other words, he's doing that not so that you'll say, oh, I'm making more money. Now I can get more stuff. Instead, he's doing that so that now you would want to raise your standard of giving rather than your standard of living. You would want to give more money away rather than buy more things. Um, Basically, it means this. Determine now as whether you're, especially for those, as we talked about earlier, if you're Um, in college or you're not yet married, determine now what you want to live like. Determine now where you want to settle in on in life. Determine now what it is that you think is going to be the... I can live on this amount of money. So then as you're prospered, you don't say, oh, I have to live on this amount of money. Oh, I have to live on this amount of money. Instead, I've already determined what I'm going to live on. Anything else I I make means that's money that I can give away to God in His glory. That's money I can give away to God in His glory. I was watching a video this past week um, where uh, Rick Warren was being interviewed um, by John Piper. And Rick Warren said that now he's made so much money that he's actually able to reverse tithe. That he actually gives 90% away and only lives on 10. And he said he just actually increased it another percentage where he gives away 91% and lives on 9. Now, he wrote like the most sold book in the world besides the Bible. So he's probably raking it in and can live on that. But the whole point is this. Um, go ahead and determine now, right now, what it is you can live on. What's the? I mean, we live in America. It costs money to live in America. I know that. You've got to have a car. You've got to have a house. You've got to have certain things. We don't live in the bush somewhere where you don't have to have a whole lot of stuff. You've got to have money to buy groceries. I understand that in order to be hospitable, you want to invite people over and you need, to, you need to have some things or you want to take someone out, those kinds of things. So I know that it takes us a little bit more in this country to live than, might, than it might in some other countries. I'm not, I'm not discounting that. I'm saying that one day you're going to make the amount of money that you need. And once you do, go ahead and determine now. I know what I need to live. And then above that, if the Lord prospers me, it doesn't mean now I can just buy more stuff. It means God has given me the ability now to lay up more treasures in heaven than on earth. He's given me the ability now to know where I've come from, to think about the fact that I was on a pathway to destruction, and then to survey this world and say, there are so many people on that path, instead of... Padding my house with more trinkets. 
I can look out at the world. I can be moved with compassion for the fact that they're on a pathway towards hell. And I can use this money that he's given me to make changes. I can lay up treasures in heaven rather than treasures on earth because these things will eventually go away. But if I invest in their life with my, with my money and hopefully they meet Jesus, well, that's a treasure in heaven and that lasts for eternity. That makes so much more sense to invest in than buying the next thing. That's what I want to do. And it's going to happen. More than likely, if you work hard, you'll make more money. So determine now what it is that you want to do. Do you want to have more stuff or lay up treasures in heaven? So let's, um, let's review, or not review, but let's summarize or conclude with this text. And in the very end of Timothy, um, Paul is writing to the people in first, right into Timothy, the pastor, and he's, he's given him pastorly advice. And as he's given him pastorly advice, he's saying, Timothy, there's going to be some people that are rich in your congregation. There's going to be some people in your money, in your, in your congregation that are going to have money. And this is the advice that I'm writing to those people. And this is how I want them to live their life. This is what I want them to do with their money. And this is what he says in, uh, first Timothy six seventeen. It says for the, it says this, as for the rich in this present age, Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to, do, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. I mean, this is just the language of storing up treasures in heaven rather than on earth. And then he says, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. And this treasure he's talking about is certainly storing up treasure for themselves in heaven. Um, Paul's not oblivious to Matthew 6. Thus storing up treasures for themselves in heaven as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So here at Remedy, I want us to be the kind of church that spends its money, that lays up treasures in heaven and not treasures on earth. I want us to... Um, Spend our money um, individually in community groups and corporately as a church. I want us to spend our money as a church um, so that it's always going to be most for God and laying up treasures in heaven. And I just want you to think about yourself. Think about where you are. Think about the last week. Think about maybe you have uh, a promotion. It doesn't matter. Like, Really do some hard examination and start asking yourself these three questions. Number one, what is my treasure? What, what do I spend my money on? What, what is my treasure? Number two, who am I radiating? As I spend my money, who is it that I'm shining out the light of? Am I shining out the light of FUD or am I shining out the light of Jesus? What is my one purpose in life? And is that evident with the way I'm spending my money? And lastly, who do I serve or who is my master? When I look and think about the way I spend money, am I really showing that my master is Jesus? Am I really showing that I serve Jesus and that he's everything for me and everything in my life? Or is it someone else? We have tons of potential. There's no doubt. And I don't think that we're doing remarkably terrible at this. I really don't. But I think that perhaps all of us can examine ourselves. Maybe look over the last pattern of your 10 years like I have this past, this past week. And just start asking yourself some hard questions. 
It'd be really easy, really, really easy to fall into legalism here. And so I don't want you to fall into legalism and just say, that's it. I'm throwing everything out of my house. Maybe the Lord's leading you to do that. But, um, but probably not. Probably not. Sanctification is a process. It's always been a process. And so more than likely, it's going to be small, acri- uh, small increments of, of making changes in your life so that you're laying up treasures in heaven and not on earth. So don't go like tomorrow, like take everything you own to goodwill. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying examine your heart right now. Think about what it is that you really love and desire. And then ask the Lord to help you make real steps toward showing that Jesus is your highest treasure. Jesus is your highest prize and not something else. Trust the Holy Spirit. I am not the Holy Spirit, so (laughs) I know you know that. But don't use the words that I'm saying to make you feel guilty. Instead, go to the Spirit and ask Him, Lord, where are you convicting me? I don't want Fudd's guilt to do anything. I want the Holy Spirit's conviction to do something in my life. And be motivated by the Gospel. And I think as we do that, we'll see some pretty awesome things. I think as we do that, we'll... See God doing some pretty amazing things. Because here's the deal. Um, If we're just being, if we're just being really, really lenient, you know, 70,000 people in Rock Hill, if we're just being really, really, really lenient, maybe half of those people are committed to Jesus. Maybe 35,000. I don't even think it's that many. Which means there's another 35,000 people in your city that don't know Jesus. And we, we just can't be okay with that. And if we keep going with the way things are, we'll keep yielding the same results. And so something has to change. Something has to change individually in my heart and in your heart and corporately as a church if we're going to start making huge changes or huge dents for the kingdom of heaven in this city. And I'm not saying that we're not doing a good job. I'm not saying that the Lord's not blessing. I'm saying, what more can we do? Where more can we sacrifice, perhaps, for the furthering of His kingdom? So as we, as we go into a time of response now, um, this is an opportunity for you to just ask the Lord, where can I change? Um, ask the Lord, where in my life am I laying up treasures on earth? And just stand, and not out of Guilt, stay seated and feel guilty about singing to Jesus instead because everything, even your indiscretion with money right now at this moment has completely been paid for at the cross. So if you haven't been laying up treasures in heaven, that's completely forgiven right now. And you can stand and sing courageously with boldness to Jesus because that sin's already forgiven and now you want to stand and now you want to worship and now you want to make real life changes as you walk out. So you... You can stand confidently in the cross, even right now. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll go into our time of worship. And I just ask that you would, um, however the Spirit's leading you right now, maybe you need to sit and pray and think, but join us as we worship as well. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Lord, it's really, <laughs> it's really easy for me to uh, want to soften the message and 
so that people like me. And if I've done that, Lord, I pray that I pray that you'll just kind of sweep me to the side and spirit, you'll come and convict our hearts more where we need it. I, I trust your word, Lord. I know that it's sufficient to do everything we need to lead us into life and godliness and and to grow us in sanctification. And so would you be with us all now as we think on our hearts, as we pray and ask, Lord, where are places that we where are places that we don't steward our money well? Where are places that we just keep reserved for ourselves rather than Jesus? Be with us now as we worship God. I pray that you would um, remind us of the gospel, that we are fully 100% forgiven in Christ and now free to live lives of worship, free to store up treasures in heaven, free to give our money away, free to give our lives as huge, risk-taking lives for the furthering of the kingdom. So Lord, motivate us by the gospel and be with us as we worship. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.